Hello, my love, and welcome back to the One Take Wonder podcast with the hot weird girl. I'm the hot weird girl in question, Alexia, and this Monday's episode is really special because you're listening to this on Labor Day in America, which is a day to celebrate all the contributions of laborers in this country, despite the fact that we have like no paid uh, vacation leave, horrible workers' rights, and I mean, half of Hollywood is on strike right now, almost It's not fair to say all because the costume designers, the animators, the special effects, they're either not unionized or their unions aren't going on strike. But the portions that are more publicly visible, like the writers and SAG-AFTRA, very much on strike. I just feel like it's fair to qualify that because not all of Hollywood is striking. And that's because not all of them have that opportunity. And maybe... I'm giving you a lot of facts, so maybe my instinct is that I want to talk about the writer's strike eventually, but this week's episode is talking about women in the workforce and the lack of labor protections that we have. I've made a lot of episodes talking about women's contributions to domestic labor, and I think one of my earliest episodes was reading facts and statistics about all the domestic labor that women perform, but I never talked on my podcast about women in the workforce, despite the fact that I'm a woman in the workforce and that I plan to be in the workforce until I retire at the ripe age of 45. I started thinking about this because at my boyfriend's job, he had a pregnant coworker who returned to work a week after giving birth. And he was like, hey, babe, like, I'm pretty sure that's not normal. Aren't you supposed to take more time to heal, blah, 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 blah. And so in explaining all of the lack of protection that women have in this country, I thought this would be a really good podcast episode because there's something we have to do about it. Like if you plan on having a kid within the next like one to 10 years, you're totally fucked, but we'll get into that. There are 76.6 million women in the American workforce. That's almost 40% of the working population women. And many women are able to give birth. And I just want to give a disclaimer that when I'm talking about women and giving birth, this is not meant to be a trans-exclusionary conversation, nor should someone listen to this podcast. And I think I did start this podcast episode by saying if you're transphobic, like, I really do hope you die. But um, just kind of I'm using women and giving birth interchangeably because many, and I think most, but don't quote me on that, are able to give birth when we talk about labor protections. So you have almost 50%, not an insignificant amount of women who make up the workforce, and yet in America, there is no maternity leave. Now, this is something that was promised a change by Joe Biden on his campaign trail for the 2020 election, and this is reading a quote from his campaign website, Biden will create a national paid family and medical leave program to give all workers up to 12 weeks of paid leave based on the Family Act. And according to the Biden promise tracker, that is stalled. Notably, throughout multiple times in Congress, um, the idea of paid family leave under the Family Act has been something that's been sacrificed in order to make concessions with Republicans, which sort of signals that it's not a hot ticket or important issue. Keep that in mind, but I guess it's hard to conceptualize how important this act would be to our everyday lives 
if we don't first establish what laws provide paid family and medical leave. There is no United States federal law that provides a right to paid family or medical leave. And when people say paid family or medical leave, that includes things like paternity leaves, um, caring for young children who may be sick, caring for older relatives, or just providing some other form of family care. Now, proposals have been made throughout multiple times in American history, but as it stands, federally, there is no protections. There are about eight states that have, or 11 states, I'm sorry, that have passed paid family and medical leave. California, unsurprisingly, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Washington State, along with Washington, D.C. Notably, none of these are what advocacy groups would consider strong maternity laws, just because of the time frame that it puts on women to get back into the workforce. So you're probably thinking, what the fuck happens to me? Or what does it mean that there's no right to paid family or medical leave? It means that your employer doesn't have to pay you when you give birth, like the time that you need off to give birth and then care for your newborn, adjust to your hormones, adjust to caring for a newborn child, the time that it would take to um, have your partner acclimate to caregiving or even support your partner who just gave birth. None of that is required. Instead, what the U.S. government does is give 12 weeks of guaranteed protection that essentially your boss can't fire you. So you may have heard that once you tell a job that you're pregnant, legally, they can't say, fuck you, pregnant bitch, get the fuck out of here. We need someone to do your job. They have to hold your job. They can't discriminate against you on the basis of pregnancy. But notably, that law is actually called my God. Oh my gosh. For a second, y'all, I thought I wasn't recording. Like the computer just glitched and I was about to scream. Sorry, I just got cut off. But that means that your employer um, under the Disability Act, that you're seen as disabled while pregnant and thus you get disability protection. It doesn't mean that you get disability leave. So you are expected to go on this leave unpaid. Like I said earlier, and just to really hammer this point home, your ability to get paid for up to 12 weeks while giving birth is completely dependent on your employer. And if you can hear a baby in the background, um, that is my neighbor's child who have just given birth. So I can really control the sound of an infant crying, um, but maybe it sort of emphasizes my point because that's what you'll be hearing all the time as you also stress out about the fact that you may not have money to stay home with your screaming newborn who literally relies on you for everything and is completely helpless without you. And so herein enters the sort of your job in American society is expected to provide maternity leave. The thing is, though, is that it's not profitable to pay for your workers to be gone for months or even a year. And just to be clear, in many parts of Europe and many of our Western contemporaries, they get 52 weeks, which is an entire year of maternity leave paid. Just a reminder, we're squabbling over 12 right now. So your employer gets to choose how much maternity leave you give. And because it's not profitable under our economic system to have workers gone for so long because nobody wants to pay someone a full wage while you're completely gone, most employers don't offer 
adequate maternity leave. The average length of maternity leave in the United States is shockingly low in the United States. It's about 10 weeks. Do you know what your body is like at 12 weeks postpartum? You've just hit the point of vaginal healing from trauma, although if you had a C-section, you may still be experiencing um, the side effects of that. If you were stitched, you may still be experiencing the side effects. Your hormones are still completely out of whack. Um, The weight on your body is still shifting. If you're breastfeeding, you may have just gotten into the routine of feeding your baby. You know, your baby is about three months old and finally able to see long distances. And if I'm wrong, um, you know, actually, please let me know because I do like being kind of normal about these things. But your stitches will still feel tender. You may still have some difficulty walking. You may be experiencing postpartum hair loss. I mean... By all accounts, it's not exactly at your fighting shape. Pregnancy, and oftentimes for up to a year postpartum, women are in extremely delicate shape where it's hard to do something. And yet your employer, if you're the average American worker, you've got about 12 weeks. So your vagina hasn't healed. Your C-section may not have healed. Your episiotomy stitches may not have healed. Your hormones are out of whack and you may not be on a pumping schedule, but now you have to go back to work. Now, this is the point where disparities come in. Obviously, those who work in lower paying jobs and most minimum wage jobs do not offer paid maternity leave. You go under the Family Medical Leave Act, which is that 12-week protection, even though it's unpaid. But then after that, depending on how long you've been working at that job or the particular state that you live in, you could be let go. Something that's really important to know is to qualify for FMLA, depending on the job, you have to be full-time or a certain number of very high hours for part-time. So it's not something that you're automatically guaranteed from starting the job. You almost have to accrue that FMLA time. And again, just to emphasize, that's unpaid time in the same way that you would accrue PTO at a new job. But this isn't paid time off. This is healing from one of the most traumatic events that a human body can go through and providing care to your newborn, something that can be extremely rewarding, but also extremely difficult and deserves to have that time off and respected but you're the average American worker, you get 10 weeks and you're only guaranteed 10. And if you don't work a very white collar job, and I'll expound on that in a second, then you essentially get no protection. So the sound of that baby, if you can hear her screaming in the background, that really puts you in an imposition. At the same time, note that it's extremely difficult to put children under six months of age into daycare, and doing so is often expensive. And for the 30% of foreign listeners um, chiming in, there is no federal access to daycare. Depending on your state, you may have one, but it's important to know that things like maternity leave, welfare benefits, and access to state-subsidized daycare is wholly dependent on whether or not you live in a Democrat or Republican state. And if you live in a Republican state, those resources either don't exist or they're so shitty, it disincentivizes people from using them and punishes those who are on them. But even regular middle class workers can still feel the effects of this lack of maternity leave. I have a close friend who works for one of the largest hospital entities in Pennsylvania. 
What do you think a hospital's maternity leave plan is? Paid 12 weeks. 12 weeks. And then if you want to go on maternity leave longer, you can stack up your vacation and PTO and sick days. And then after that, you'll have to take a pay cut. And most American women will end up needing to extend their maternity leave time beyond whatever job allotment is. So they take a huge pay cut in their wages, which is also what contributes to the job cap, the job gap. Because women are being punished for going into the workforce and daring to give birth and opting to take that time with their newborn. And women are also punished for leaving their children in daycare as it's incredibly expensive if those resources even exist. So what often happens is that women at these middle and low income um, economic levels are being pushed out of the workforce. Now, there is one group that does have really stellar maternity protection, and those are very elite white collar jobs. It's not enough just to work at a law firm because my law firm doesn't offer a year of maternity leave, and even my friends in big law don't get an actual year of maternity leave, regardless of what it says on paper. It's somewhat of an open secret as a woman in the law that you're expected to still bill some hours and tune into meetings, even though you're technically on leave with the baby, because the way that the legal profession treats maternity leave is akin to a vacation. You're not in the office, but if we need something urgent, we need to talk to you. And maybe they need to talk to you when your baby's going down for a nap or when it's the first time that you and your partner have had quiet all day. It doesn't really matter because you're still somewhat expected to be on call. So when I see these really elite white collar jobs, even the legal profession is excluded. And speaking of highly regarded jobs, if you think that actual doctors, nurses, um, medical techs get maternity leave, I don't think you know enough doctors because residents who work in the hospital get 12 weeks and then their hospital who deals with birth complications, who knows firsthand because it's their job, what pregnancy and childbirth can do to a woman asks you to forego all of that to the side and get your ass back in the hospital. Otherwise, you could be encouraged to take a year away from your residency. And that is such a big deal to take a year away from your residency that most residents who leave don't recover. And it's a huge black mark on your resume, not to mention it puts you behind your colleagues all because you were punished for having a baby. It's so common that my sister and my other friends in medical school have all had to understand that they would have to orient their lives and their gestation plans around their residency because pregnancy is not respected and pregnancy is not respected because it's not legally protected it is not enough legally to say that you cannot fire people for being pregnant when in reality everything else that's happening the fact that unless you are working at these very cushy jobs jobs that tend to go to people who went to ivy league schools or are already connected jobs that most of us won't get because if i can't hammer this point home enough. Even the people who are making 150 to 160K still have shitty maternity leave protections. Maternity leave is one of adequate maternity leave, like a year of paid maternity leave where you are not required to take sick leave or a pay cut or vacation time is so rare that when you Google it, only a handful of companies come up and they're all companies that are extremely difficult to get into. And you shouldn't have to be elite in order to provide a quality of life and care to your baby because it is a quality of life for your baby to not have 
its main caregivers with it and able to attend to it properly. The repercussions are ha- for having a baby are so serious that it pushes a lot of women out of the workforce entirely. Because let's say you're making about 70000 And it would cost about $3,000 a month to send your young child into daycare. Now, you're not really making that much depending on your state per month. Like what your salary makes might break even or even be a little less than the cost of daycare. So does it make sense for you to go back to work when realistically your newborn needs the care of a parent at home, especially in that vital first year of life? And that's not a conservative opinion, although it's one that's been weaponized by conservatives. It's simply the scientific fact that children who are able to spend the most time with their primary caregivers in a home setting thrive when they get older because it is a big difference to be cared for where you are one of the only children in the home versus a daycare setting. And that's an unfortunate reality and a state of well-being that many women are forced to undergo because when it really comes down to it, What's worse, not being around your kid or not being able to feed your kid? You have to put milk in your newborn's mouth, even if it means sacrificing that vital time that you're owed as a human being to get it. And saying this makes me incredibly angry because it's such a big deal because I have friends that are getting ready to have babies in the near future because I know that I want a child, although between me and you, I'm not even thinking about it until I'm like 32 or 33. And yet it's something that economically we are punished for. And that's because if you remember early in this episode, when I said we would come back to this idea that it's used as a political bargaining chip because that it's not that important, nobody really gives a fuck. Capitalism benefits from the nuclear family unit because while capitalism and patriarchy are intertwined, Never forget the fact that our economic system exploits all the discriminatory systems, white supremacy, patriarchy, religious bias, homophobic bias, in order to serve its economic needs. You can demand, as they did back in the what we think of as the old days, it's important to note that women have always been working throughout American history and that only a very select group of very upper middle class white women were able to stay home. That that's somewhat of a 1950s revisionist fantasy and actually propaganda that arose out of our desire to make America seem um, more domestically hospitable in our Cold War with the Russians, but that's for another episode. So women have always been working But this fantasy that we have that the men went off to work and the women stayed home is very beneficial to capitalism because if you know that your kids are being taken care of at home, then your boss can demand that you stay in the office longer. It requires an isolationist, no village to watch the kids, just the woman who's being exploited and is engaging in backbreaking domestic labor. As I've talked about so often on this podcast, when you are the only person who's taking care of the kids and also expected to clean the home with no break or intervention from the other grown adult who lives in the house, it's extremely difficult. But nobody 
gives a fuck about how much women are struggling in the workforce because that's ultimately what they want us to go back to. And I think this is best exemplified by someone that I referred to as that bitch Phyllis Shafley. But if you really want to look her up, it's Phyllis Shafley. Now, Phyllis Shafley was a conservative, anti-feminist spokesperson um, who was very active between the 60s and the 80s, was embraced by um, Reagan, wrote the book, A Choice, Not an Echo. Um, You know, she socially co-authored books on national defense and was very critical of an arms race with the Soviet Union. But what she's most known for is founding the Eagle Forum, which is a conservative political interest group. And she maintained their chairwoman and CEO until 2016. And you may have seen a woman, I believe Jessica Chastain or maybe Amy Adams, one of the two redheaded white actresses whom I love down, playing her in a movie. But she is single-handedly responsible for gutting the Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment was a proposed amendment to the United States Constitution that was designed to guarantee equal legal rights for all American citizens, regardless of sex. And the proponents, the people who advanced it, the feminists, like the OG feminists that you're thinking about believed that it would end legal distinctions between men and women in matters of divorce. But as proponents began to advance it, they also realized that they could advocate under the Equal Rights Amendment for maternity leave, paternity leave, federally funded daycare so that women who do go back to work don't have to sacrifice their career and can know that there are daycares that are economically affordable so that you don't have to choose when your baby is two, three, four, pre-kindergarten, what you're going to do with your kid. Because if it wasn't obvious enough from this podcast, the cost of taking time off of work is not just dollars, but it's the ability to re-enter the workforce at all. And stay-at-home moms who attempt to re-enter the workforce have an extremely hard time entering. You may have left your job as a third-year associate, but you'll be entering in as a first-year associate And you'll be expected to happily take that pay cut on top of it. There's an almost degrading process that women who reenter the workforce have to go through because we don't look at things as like managing domestic labor as, you know, a skill that can be really helpful. For example, if you knew how to keep your entire family on schedule, you're good at organizing tasks, you're effective under pressure. You are a domestic engineer, but unfortunately, that doesn't translate into the respect that you'll get in the workforce. So when attempting to re-enter the workforce, you'll be demeaned, and it's incredibly difficult to do so. And we were close to getting the ERA ratified in 1972 when Phyllis Schlafly began this campaign under the Equal Rights Amendment, and she did so by appealing to, again, this revisionist 1950s history and appeals to white women white womanhood. You have to understand that 1972, the civil rights protections had just been amended. And there was the fear that if these protections were going to be put in place for white people, then black people would also benefit. And to quote Lyndon B. Johnson, you can convince the poorest white man that he's better or no. Let me actually Google that quote because I'm paraphrasing it wrong. B. Johnson, poor. This is the one take wonder man. We're, um, literally doing this in real time. Oh, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice that you're picking his pocket. 
hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. And that's basically just a very presidential way of saying white people would shoot themselves in the face if they thought that the bullet was going to go through their face and kill a black family. Um, and so Phyllis Shafley campaigned in 1972 when the ERA had already been ratified by 28 states. Now, in order to get a constitutional amendment ratified, you need 38 states. So that's only 10 out of the 52 that needed to agree. Seven more states would go on to ratify the amendment after Shafley began organizing opposition. But because she was so influential in her opposition against the Equal Rights Amendment, five states actually rescinded. The very last state to ratify the ERA was Indiana in 1977. And it was only ratified by 35 states which was not enough to make it a constitutional amendment. Since then, since 1972, up until 2023, every significant attempt to ratify the ERA into law has failed. Now, the ERA, again, would bring about so many protections for women and for men in the workforce. It would also, in today's day and age, likely provide protections for transgender people and people of non-binary identification, but it didn't happen because a woman decided that it would bring the end to gender-specific privileges enjoyed by women, which she concluded as dependent wife benefits under Social Security, separate restrooms for males and females, so just know that that argument is, what, 40 years old at this point, and exemption from the draft. So just remember that in the next few years when you're making the choice between do I have a kid this year or do I keep myself eligible for a bonus at work that a woman who campaigned under the slogan stop, stop taking back our privileges decided that you actually shouldn't have those because your privilege to not be drafted is greater. And I'm reading this from the Wikipedia article, but political scientist Jane J. Mansbridge concluded in her history of the ERA, many people who followed the struggle over the ERA believed, rightly in my view, that the amendment would have been ratified by 1975 or 1976 had it not been for Phyllis Shafley's early and effective effort to organize political opponents. Joan Williams argued the ERA was defeated when Shafley turned it into a war amongst women over gender roles. And I think that's also a testament to the manipulation that people can be susceptible when it comes to losing their rights. These Trojan horse wars over bathrooms and pronouns and the flags that you're allowed to wave are ultimately used to usher in the demolition of our rights. Myself personally, I would argue that the reason why these attempts have been so unsuccessful is because people have simply accepted it as fact that we can live in one of the most economically advanced and prosperous countries on this planet and not have protections for when we give birth to babies. And I wish I could end this podcast by saying like, but if we just raise our voice, but no, because 
how many fucking women told Joe Biden that this was an issue that we cared about? And just to be clear, when I bash Biden, um, I don't like him and I don't think he's a good president, but Republicans would have you back in the home pregnant and barefoot faster than you can say uh, moderate opinion. But, but it's just not being taken seriously because people who work for Congress know that they get good maternity leave. People who work at the top jobs get good maternity leave. And so everyone believes that maternity leave is just this benefit that you have to be exceptional to get. But 50% of us are capable of giving birth. And yet 50% of us will have to make that choice if we want to spend our child's most formative year and the subsequent formative years. I didn't even touch how women are affected by making the choice to stay home with children under five because that would be a whole separate continuation of the podcast, although I can make that episode of Simply One Person Asks. We're at a tension point, and I, I truly think some of the tension comes from the fact that so little of us realize how truly fucked we are until we look through the benefits of our first job after happily waving, you know, that pink positive sign in the air and realizing that this baby, this bundle of joy is also about to lead to a massive pay cut. In my lifetime, I hope to see the ERA realized. I hope to get federal maternity leave. And my goal in the next five years is to find a job where I can enjoy those protections. But I want those protections for everyone. I want it for the lady who's bagging my groceries at the grocery store. I want it for the people making my food. It shouldn't just be left to a select few to be able to care for your newborn. And so I thought that this would be a perfect fitting episode to talk about on Labor Day and talk about the fact that half of the workforce is expected to show up to work with this smile on their face while knowing that their basic right to reproduce and lovingly enjoy their children is threatened by their ability to then financially care for those children. I would love to hear your thoughts. I love when you guys hit me up on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Hot Weird Girl. Until next Monday, and thanks for staying to the end. Love you. Bye.